0: movement in your life, one of the most profoundly powerful interventions to stay healthy, but how do you do it? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health, and today we have a guest that we've interviewed five years ago, Dr. Joan Vernicos, who is a true pioneer and really one of the first professionals to understand the value and the importance of mo- regular movement in preventing disease i mean it's become quite popular now sitting as the new smoking is a real popular mean it's been around for a while and people understand this is not new information but she was one of the leaders and she has a lot of interesting information and details on why it's so important and why would should we trust her well she has a phd she was hired by nasa in 1964 five years before neil armstrong landed on the moon and she's written over 200 scientific papers. She was the director of the life sciences at NASA from 93 until 2000. And she's, uh, she's just an enormous lo- loads of information. And she hasn't been with NASA for a while now. So she's had this time to reflect uh, uh, because she had, was a big part of her position was administrative, so she had a time to reflect and think, and everything that was going on, and has come up with some really interesting theories. And she's written the book and put some of them in there. It's called "Designed to Move," which is an update from her previous book, which I believe is "Sitting Kills." Uh, so, uh, welcome and thank you for joining us today, Dr. Vernikos.
1: Thank you very much for having me on again for a sequel.
0: Well, yes, for an update, because this—I mean—it is such an important. Strategy for optimizing your health, and you know, and I'm just going to give a little personal history uh, before we go into the details and expand it. Because when we, when I last interviewed with you, I, I had a significant amount of incapacitating back pain, and I had implemented your recommendations of sitting up or s- sitting, standing up a few times an hour and doing some exercises in it. But that wasn't sufficient to relieve the back pain for me I had to stand up completely and as I'm doing this interview I'm standing up and have been for pretty much the last three or four years Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm not sure that it has the specific health benefits of standing versus sitting but for me it it was a postural thing and it just had an influence on my muscles but once I started standing up the back pain disappeared and you have a different perspective on that because of the change in business and that's so crucial Uh, but we'll get into that in a bit and uh, now you're I believe you dedicated this book to John Glenn, is that correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, and of course, he was the first astronaut that did an orbital of a flight from the United States. Obviously, the Russians did that previously. And he was a senator, and he died actually last year, late last year in 2000, December 2016. Correct. But he returned to space at the age of 77. So and I believe he was the oldest astronaut. So yes. why don't you tell you us a about your relationship with uh, Senator John Glenn?
1: Well, I was instrumental in, <laughs> I think, in helping him getting back into space. Because when he first came up with the suggestion, everyone thought, oh, well, you know, can't send an old man up in space. What if something happens to him? Like, you know, then how do we explain it?
0: Sure. And, it's a uh, risk.
1: It's a risk. And uh, the oldest person at that point was... Uh, 52, Musgrave, who is not a spring chicken, exactly, but (laughs) 52. And uh, so Glenn wanted to fly again because John F. Kennedy had prevented him from uh, going to the moon uh, because he was a national hero, and it wouldn't be politically uh, pleasant uh, Mm -hmm. if something happened to him. Uh, so he was forbidden from flying again. He tried to be a politician, almost president. And then, uh, as senator, he arrived at NASA, and my administrator said, Well, John, what do you think? Should we let John fly again? Which was a heck of a question. And I said, Pff, Arbitrarily, why not? Uh, but, you know, let's do some homework with the National Institute on Aging. And we started asking around questions of experts, and the answer came back, well, there is no reason to exclude him as long as he is healthy and fit, okay? So, of course, lots of tests, uh, and he continued to be a senator uh, right up to the day he flew. Uh, He was uh, uh, doing all his homework for the the shuttle flight uh, on his flights back and forth, and it was extraordinary. My concern was not that anything would happen to him during the flight, but how would he recover? or would he yeah. recover?
0: How long was he up there for?
1: He's only nine days. Okay. Only, yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> was longer than his first flight. <laughs> I longer. Was like, oh. That's for sure. And, uh, and that was my big worry. And uh, he came back, of course, uh, walked off like everybody else. We had a session at the National Institute of Health on the results, which were all double-blind, and revealed that evening. And this uh, chart was put up with uh, all the clustered uh, data and one outlier. And I thought, well, of course, that's got to be John Glenn, uh, who is different from all the others who were in their 30s. Uh, And well, it was a good try. And it turned out that John Glenn was among the cluster, and the one outlier was 35 years old. (laughs) So that message came across loud and clear. And of course, he recovered very fast. Uh, And I escorted him on many rounds we did to to explain to people what had happened, what we'd learned. the message came back loud and clear. If you are healthy and you are fit and you take care of yourself, take care of yourself, which is a very important uh, mm-hmm. premise, there's no reason you can't do anything that anyone else can't do, can do. And uh, good, that was the, his, 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 his belief. And right up to the day he died.
0: How old, old is he when he passed? Ninety-five. Wow, that's pretty good. So that was interesting because it provided us with some lessons about microgravity. And uh, you were st- when he was up there, you were still, you were still at NASA, right?
1: Oh yes, I was still director of life okay. science. All right,
0: yeah. you're the director there. So, um, and your concern? Well, I guess the concern is, I mean, obviously it's a lot more than a few hours and nine days. But there are people up there been up there for over a year now, and there's are some downsides. So, interestingly, I don't know if we shared. I shared this in the last one, but one of, the, like many kids, I, I remember clearly watching Armstrong land on the moon and was inspired, and I wanted to be an astronaut and really pursued it until late high school. I was committed to following a, a path to lead me to be an astronaut. But then I had some encounters with the government, and realized I do not want to do anything with the United States government, so I am out of here, and I'm so glad I did because. You know, I, I later learned that some of the dangers like the ionizing radiation and gamma rays, and of course, the, the lack of gravity, which is, you're a specialist in. So why don't you start expanding on some of the uh, concerns you have? Because this was really why you're one of the pioneers in this area, because this lack of gravity is very similar to inactivity down on Earth where we have gravity.
1: It is very similar uh, to inactivity on Earth, but that's not the only feature. Mm-hmm. Of removing gravity getting away from gravity, um, and the uh, the consequences and or the acknowledgement, let's say uh, of the participants in the program, uh, that there's something r- possibly wrong with the right stuff, which is the astronaut's uh, mm-hmm. favorite the movie, the movie the <laughs> script. Uh, you know, how could anything happen? to them that, you know, is not very pleasant. Well, it does. And uh, we can't deny it anymore. And we cannot deny not only that uh, what is uh, uh, has been now shown that changes occur in space, in the microgravity of space that are very reminiscent of those of aging on Earth, except they happen 10, ten times faster. So if you're going to lose bone at 1% a a year, here on Earth, as Mm -hmm. from age 20 on, uh, you're losing 5%, sometimes more, sometimes less, to, in space, per month. So, uh, it- That adds up real quickly. (laughs) In six months periods that they were going one, one astronaut lost 30% of his bone. Mm -hmm. Now that's a lot of bone to lose.
0: And, and I'm sure they were on a pretty aggressive exercise program. I don't think any astronaut isn't exercising hours every day.
1: Absolutely, up to four hours a day, two mm-hmm. hours to four hours a day of exercise, with a, a couple of exceptions that I need I need to, mm-hmm. to point to you because it's right down your way of thinking. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, and it's uh, the Obviously, the exercise is complicated in space, more mm-hmm. complicated in space than it is on Earth because the, uh, you have to wear bungee cords to hold you down on, on any treadmill. Your, your resistive exercise is much more complicated because there isn't gravity to work against and all kinds of things like that. Um, but in spite of all that, the changes we see keep appearing and being faster than they are on Earth. And And despite
0: despite the attempts to remediate it with exercise.
1: If you stop and think about it, we have never flown an astronaut without exercise. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So what we're seeing with the exercise, (laughs) okay, this is what worries me. This is what worries me. Because we kind of forget. We say, well, exercise helps you. I'm sure it helps. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that it helps.
0: But there's no control that hasn't went up without exercise. There is exercise.
1: no control, and we're getting a heck of a lot of adverse effects, mm-hmm. as it is with that exercise. Now, I have a theory about that, because I have a theory about most things, mm-hmm. uh, that the minute you stop exercising in space, you're right back in microgravity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're not back to 1G as you are on Earth. There is no, it,
0: excuse me for a moment for interrupting, but you know many, your microgravity, is you've known it for decades, but for those who don't, maybe yes. if you can define that. It's a lack of gravity or relative, but it, it's specifically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's well below the threshold of what we perceive as gravity. Okay. It's 10 to the minus 5, if you want to Okay,
0: be. Yeah, that's what it was. I knew it was it was, it was very small. It was 100,000th or a millionth of the...
1: the yes, exactly. Gravity. Okay. And so when you exercise on Earth... Uh, you have gravity to work against, and the minute you stop, the response does not just cut off. Mm-hmm. The response continues over a period of time, which is a very interesting phenomenon. This is the after response to exercise. Very valuable. In space, there's no after response, because there is no gravity to recover in. And so it's whammo, you're right back down at 10 to the minus 5G. And I think I know the body responds to, when it first responds to microgravity, to, to, to low gravity, you see a sequence of changes. And just as you see the same s- sequence in reverse, when you, la- when you stand up or when you return from flight. So the response to gravity produces a sequence of changes. The response to microgravity or almost no gravity is a mirror image of your response to standing or your response to being launched.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: So that is absent. The after response is absent in microgravity. And so I think we might be able to get exercise to work in space if we distributed it throughout the day in intermittent periods.
0: Yes. That, that is, to me, after reading your new book, it seemed the, the summary, if I could put into a few words, is intermittent, yeah. low intensity, high frequency. Yes.
1: In other words, move your butt all day long unless you're sleeping. <laughs> exactly. And that's what we're designed you know, uh, that's the way we've been designed because when you wake up in the morning and you open your eyes because of light, not because of gravity, and I'm sure there's an interaction there between light and gravity, so you open your eyes and what do you do first thing? Stand it's up. amazing what audiences tell me, but that's, besides, <laughs> that's beside the point. <laughs> what you do is get up. Yeah. You stand up. And then you go about your business, whatever that happens to be. And during the day, you are moving. They were designed to move all day long until it's night again and you go back to bed to sleep. It's a very neat system. Yes indeed. And what we've done is we've modified it.
0: Oh radically modified. I think uh, modified is too kind a term. Well, we've <laughs> yeah, we've cut it <laughs> whatever off.
1: <laughs> we modified it. And well, not only that, but in addition, any of our defense mechanisms, uh, uh, any brain mechanism, any neural mechanisms that gravity keeps uh, tuning all day long with movement uh, are are not there. The, we have this barrage of tec- of of texting and and technological uh, input uh, that is bombarding our system sure and we need this underlying movement all day long to tune us to prime us to be able to respond to the onslaught of whatever it is whether it is running to to get away from the tiger or climbing the tree or to defend ourselves against whatever uh, stress, onslaught, uh, electronics, you name sure. it.
0: So th- this information is not radical or new or, you know, it, most everyone's going to be aware of this, that you need to move. But what I want you to share and go into greater depth on is the your appreciation of the influence of microgravity on the vestibular system. And then... How it that influences health and what you learn from that and what we can transfer to what we have on Earth.
1: It is very fascinating. One of our missions, uh Rick Siafos, an astronaut who was pilot on that mission and became commander of the shuttle, um was being tested on something called uh uh the standing plate. the... the, the uh, What's it called? The the balance. Hmm? His balance was being tested. And he's standing on this moving plate um, while we're all sort of chit chatting around. And I suddenly see him leaning forward very gradually and just keep going. Mm -hmm. And this is after his nine day flight in space. And I rushed to catch him. Of course, there would have been no way I could have caught him coming down as dead weight. And more of us fortunately came, we grabbed him and he shook his head and he said, what happened? And I said, as he opened his eyes, I said, you were about to fall flat on your face. He said, I never felt as if I was falling. I never felt the need to put my arms out to protect myself. After nine days, that is highly significant because what it means is that the the, the brain maps of where we are relative to our environment had disappeared. Uh, as a child, as we develop, as we somersault, as we jump, as we whatever, do all these wondrous things we do as children, we develop. Uh, maps in our brain that tell us where we are relative to our environment. We can shut our eyes and touch our nose, for instance, among other things. In space, these, this relationship is not there. There are no cues from gravity for up and down, for acceleration, for sense of direction. And, and we are we are floating around in the spacecraft, or they appear to be floating, floating. Uh, weightless, mm-hmm. and don't need them until we get back. And what we didn't know, I mean, we knew that that uh, uh, neuroplasticity had not too many years before been uh, discovered and, and acknowledged, but we did not know whether we could uh, reproduce these maps that we developed as children. And of course he went through a rehab uh, which was more or less the same as uh, all other times that the astronauts flew. And sure enough, he reacquired these uh, maps, these brain maps that uh, that tell us what tell his relationship to the new environment of coming back into on Earth. Uh, was so we know that you you can recover from that sort of so if if you're 80 years old and you have poor balance and someone tells you oh, well would you expect you're 80 years old the answer is hell no there is absolutely no reason that you cannot reacquire these maps and the orientation that you had as a child with your environment
0: and the vestibular system is actually. Far more, has more features or functions than just balance. And the vestibular system is the inner ear, of course. Uh, and why don't you discuss some of the other ones like blood pressure
1: regulation and muscle yes. and It is uh, a lot of research has been done in the vestibular system uh, thanks, to, thanks to NASA. Uh, and it is now clear that uh, certainly blood pressure regulation is very much a function of regulated by the vestibular system, but also bone loss and muscle atrophy are also can also be related to a, vestibul- a functioning vestibular system. So these are just three critical uh, features and responses of, that we know happen when you reduce the, the gravity stimulus uh, that we, we are exposed we to all day long. The uh, blood pressure, of course, is one of the first things we saw in returning astronauts, the sudden drop in blood pressure on standing up uh, and uh, orthostatic hypotension, as it's technically called. And uh, that is a very important indicator of the rest of the function of 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 the cardiovascular system. And its relationship to the vestibular system, because another thing that happens that is not so visible as fainting when you stand up is that the endothelium, the lining of the blood vessels, uh, virtually disappears. The, oh. the, I mean, the, you take, we've flown rats, and you, with whom you can take the veins out and the, blood, and the arteries, and they're the, translucent. Now, it, yeah, I, it was my
0: understanding that the endothelium is where large amounts of nitric oxide are stored. Yes. So that would seem to be a really important, it's a really um, important. Um, biomodulator. So, I mean, is that correct? And That did you it is correct.
1: And we haven't even scratched the surface on that possible mm-hmm. side effect. Because, you know, until we see a very obviously adverse effect, not much research is done in the area, unfortunately.
0: Wow, I had no idea that the endothelium was decimated. so.
1: If you look at elderly, and you look at sedentary, and you look at space, it is a continuum. The changes are very much a continuum of reduced exposure to gravity, or yes, reduced exposure to gravity, or exposure to reduced gravity, both.
0: Now, I, I listened to your interview on STEM Talk, and you offered a hypothesis there on the vestibular system, which I thought was intriguing, because uh, it's your belief that the best stimulus to the vestibular system is postural change. Can, so can you expand on that?
1: Yes, it's it's the most basic uh, stimulus that we experience many, 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 many times a day, or we should. And uh, and and we uh, it it is involves the vesti- the signal is rec- perceived by the vestibular system, which then regulates blood pressure. So as you stand up, it would uh, uh, if you've been exposed to space or have been sitting too long, or if you've been bedridden for a reason or not you will have the tendency to faint. You'll have all those, that low low blood pressure, a sudden drop in blood pressure, or five days with the flu in bed, and you get up after having been in bed for four or five days.
0: Do, do you know what the mechanism for the inability to control the blood pressure, is it related to nitric oxide in any way, or is it another mechanism?
1: Uh, I a lot of it is dehydration, hmm. uh, but it's not the whole story. Uh, other... Some people are more prone to orthostatic hypotension than others. So there's a sympathetic nervous system, a norepinephrine nor involvement. People who have a higher blood pressure normally and a higher uh, sympathetic nervous system, uh, more sensitive hypersympathetic nervous system, are less likely to faint on standing up after being deprived and so on. They all get there eventually. It's it's a it's a time course thing. Some are better off for a while, but eventually they all they all. And so I think there's a third component that is very much. Oh, there's also the angiotensin component. Hmm. The enzyme that converts renin to angiotensin, which is found in the lung, is suppressed in flight, and. Uh, and, and I have no doubt that nitric oxide is very much a, a, a participant,
0: but... Uh, so, the, 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 we, now that you've elaborated on the connections to the vestibular system, <clears throat> maybe you can provide us with some practical uh, strategies that we can use to circumvent the damage, that is, inevitable damage that occurs. When we don't pay attention to the movement or live, which is probably the majority of people watching this?
1: I think one of the errors uh, or oversights of the, in the field has been the emphasis on total hours sat mm-hmm. instead of what I call uninterrupted hours sat. In other words, if you interrupt sitting reasonably frequently, you're less likely, or maybe not at all, the experiment has not been done, to show the effects of Roland's sitting. Now, within within half an uh, hour...
0: What, what, can you expand on the effects? I mean, what, by effects, what do you mean?
1: The, the, the documentation on the effects has been extensive in the last five years. And it's continuing all the time because a lot of meta-analysis studies, which I take with a pinch of salt sometimes, but uh, have been done that implicate absolutely everything. Not only the cardiovascular system and heart disease, but the incidence of stroke, um, cancers especially, interestingly, colorectal cancer, GI cancer, uh, ovarian, and, uh, and prostate cancers. Hmm. I feel there is a circulation component in that with sitting, Hmm. an occlusion aspect that contributes and makes things worse all around. Diabetes and obesity uh, are consequent, have been shown to be correlated as consequences to sitting. Depression. uh,
0: Okay, so loads of diseases.
1: Loads of diseases. And significantly more and more work, especially in children, in reduction in cognitive uh, reactions.
0: So we, we know one of the benefits of exercising, an independent of so. sitting, is increase in BDNF and Correct. also PGC1-alpha, which is an obscure metabolic pathway responsible for increasing mitochondrial reproduction. So, do, is it, do you think, and that's what exercise, but most people wouldn't consider sit, standing up from sitting exercise. Is it your belief that you still get the same metabolic benefits? It would seem like it, because what else would explain the d- decreases in the reductions of the diseases you just cited?
1: It is, it's, uh, I, I don't know. All I know is that within 30 minutes of sitting, trigly- triglycerides are increased. <laughs> so, that is a very significant response. If you're driving for an hour, or half an hour to get to your doctor, and you're sitting in the reception room another half hour before they draw blood, of course you're going to be diagnosed as a pre-diabetic. Uh, it's, it, you know, we have to be a little more critical about how we do things <laughs> in in real life, and before jumping to all kinds of conclusions. The intermittent standing signal. Uh, is, is just that. It's a signal. It's a tuning mechanism. Uh, 12 calories burned per, per stand. And it's spread out throughout the day. Terribly important. Terribly important.
0: But it's not a calorie burning benefit no. at all. The calorie reduction or calorie yes. loss is almost, it's, it's pr- pretty much insignificant. That's right. It's about 12 calories.
1: Not exactly your your uh, diet
0: and what, and that's standing how frequently throughout the day sixteen times a day or
1: well if you stand i for sitting I would recommend something in the thirty two to thirty six times I'll tell you why I did an experiment the last experiments I did was in bed with bed rest, lying in bed continuously mm-hmm. and the question I asked because we were not having a lot of success with completely preventing the changes with exercise, horizontal exercise in bed, I thought, well, I wonder how many times you have to stand up or ex- how many times you, a day would you have to exercise if you spread it out and the, you're upright to prevent the effects of lying in bed continuously. I used standing up as a control my, my experiment was on exercise on a treadmill for 15 minutes every two hours or every four hours throughout the day. When I got the results in, and this was a, a double-blind study, with, I had a fancy statistician and he called me in and he said, John, you're not going to like these results. I said, why not? He said, well, the standing was more effective than the, than the exercise, than the treadmill in preventing the changes.
0: Now, is this, let me, for clarification, is this standing up continuously or s- s- standing from the, the being recumbent in bed?
1: Standing from being recombinant in bed and standing for 15 minutes, okay? okay? Because that's what I knew at the time, I, I took a guess. And, and it was amazing that you, that was enough, uh, standing up every
0: two hours, uh, was for, enough for fifteen minutes.
1: For fifteen minutes each time. Okay. Uh, during a sixteen-hour period, day daytime period, uh, awake period, if you will. And I thought obviously that my next experiment would have been less time, uh, more frequently, less frequently, more more factors. But I I went to Washington, became a bureaucrat. So the experiment was never done. Hmm. Uh, However, the data that I have been seeing coming out suggests that about every, from sitting, standing up about every 20 to 30 minutes uh, is a good counteraction. I'll tell you why in a second.
0: But uh-huh. when you stand up, is it still standing up for 50, stand up every 15 or 20 minutes and stand up no. or just stand no. up once and then go down?
1: I was convinced that it was still going to take less than 15 minutes standing up. My next experiment was going to be five minutes. I, I saw, for instance, Eric Pepper, Professor Eric Pepper at San Francisco State University has his students stand up at 30 minutes during a lecture and wave their arms around and sit again. Mm-hmm. And he reported that that was sufficient to keep their mental uh, acuity <laughs> up. Uh, there are little tidbits of information here and there that somewhere in the 30-minute time frame. I did a, a, an experiment all on my own. One time uh, after I, I left NASA, I wrote a book, uh, the, G, the G-Connection, uh, about the role of gravity. And I got an award for it. I was coming back from the, from the platform. And I saw this man waving his arm saying, so what's your book all about? I said, uh, how you can stay young as long as you live. I was being flip. I wanted to get away. Um, he says, yes, how? I said, well, stand up every 30 minutes. And then I realized he was in a wheelchair. And so I made a quick exit and to return to my table and a colleague at the table said, did you know who that was? I said, no. He said, it was George Mueller. Mm. Uh, George Mueller was Mr. Apollo. Mm. A rather a rather testy uh, gentleman uh, that you didn't cross often. And I thought, oh, well, here's the, you know, the end of a, a nice relationship. Three months later, he calls me up and says, you won't believe this. We went to the Mueller's and... George answered the door upright and proceeded to offer drinks. And we asked his wife what happened, and she said, Oh, he did it all himself. What did he do? He stood up every 30 minutes. Okay, that's an end of one. I proceeded to do six people. Recommended older people: 199-year-old, 192-year-old, 157-year-old, 187-year-old. That I met along the way and were willing to do it. They all gained a good degree of independence. Is it the answer for longevity or whatever? I don't know, but whatever it was, it helped them uh, with their
0: independence. No, that is vital. That's a really important point, and I just want to emphasize that because you know I, I can appreciate it as my parents. My mom just passed away a few. Few weeks ago and my dad's probably not be not too far behind and I'm absolutely confident that one of the major contributions was their inability to move and you know they they had some reasons for it but this this inability to stand up is 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 I know once you lose that, you are rapidly accelerating your progress towards death. There's Just no way around it. And this is such a simple strategy. Here you had a, a, a handicapped person in a wheelchair, and that's one of the rec- one of the questions every two is what can you recommend for people who are in wheelchairs? And it's something as simple as standing up. Standing up, but obviously not everyone's going to be able to do that. They are paralyzed. Uh, sure. You know, Euler had some capacity; he just was using yes, it. But most, these- most people are paralyzed.
1: They can stand up. Yeah, well, not only that, but there is a stand-up chair, hmm? a stand-up wheelchair that props oh. you up on, on demand. It's nice. A, it's a wonderful device.
0: Absolutely. So, would you, would you still get the same benefits because you're changing yes. posture, but because you, you're but you're not exercising your leg muscles? That's correct. But wow, thing, I did not realize it was a stand-up wheelchair. I had no idea.
1: Is- yeah, well, I know it's in Michigan. They they have devised it, and it's a superb device. I've tried it myself, and it's uh, it's very easy to very light, very easy to use as long as your arms are uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. functional. And you you can you know you can go shopping in a supermarket and look at things in at eye level. You can talk to other people at eye level. It is a very very important addition to the disabled. Yeah. Cool. Or elderly. And or elderly. And or elderly, absolutely. Yeah. And or elderly. The elderly is a very interesting thing. I gave a talk recently and someone said they'd read a paper, uh, a survey that had been done about what is the most significant factor that that makes families uh, move their parents to a nursing facility. And the top most important factor was being unable to use the toilet which, you know, you can imagine is a very simple motion of sitting down and standing up mm-hmm. with some independence and it is so fundamental to the world well, to well-being, mm-hmm. to the sense of well-being and and, and well, I, you know, independence is, is a very, as you said, is a very crucial.
0: Yeah, And once you lose that, you know, you, it's been my observation that you're not going to be around here a lot longer. I mean, you can, but there's the anomaly. So.
1: Well, like, like, unfortunately, nursing facilities, good as they might be, are a one-way street.
0: Right. Yeah you know there's some good ones out there that really yes. pay attention to exercise and get people moving and you know and you know, they do a great service but absolutely
1: uh, absolutely but there's a lot more that can be done yeah uh, both social interaction touching the mm-hmm. sense of touch is extremely important to elderly people who just don't get touched as much. Yeah,
0: so that's a really good one. So thanks for addressing the disabled one, that uh, the stand-up wheelchair is a golden pearl. So uh, in your book, you outline another strategy, and I'd like you to offer a few more, perhaps, <clears throat> is having a pet. Just yeah. having a pet will yeah. increase. It, there was just a study done yesterday uh, that shows it increases your steps by 2,700 steps a day. I love uh, an additional 23 minutes of every day of moderate physical activity, which is not insignificant. And you know, I think pets are great too because they don't live as long as we do. And, and they force, when they pass, they force us to uh, learn how to deal with grief, which is a profoundly disturbing emotion, but you know, learning how to, to address that is gonna be useful in the future.
1: Yeah, that is a, a wonderful uh, uh, aid to keeping us independent. Mm -hmm. Because someone else depends on us. Something else depends on us. Uh, Terribly important. Uh, Going up and down stairs, we've lost the the art. We we have facilities that help us get up and down and and that sort of thing. Um, So it, it is crucial to be able to keep, retain that independence
0: Yeah, and you can just look for opportunities. You know, I I travel, and you know, I see a lot of people in airports. I'm sure a lot of people travel too, and there's always options. You can take the escalator, or you can take the stairs. You can take the walkway, or you can walk.
1: Yes, and I saw I saw this wonderful uh, railroad station in Paris. Uh, It was a station where uh, people went to charge their electronic devices, and they charged them by riding a bicycle. That's it was good. wonderful. It was wonderful. It was full of people. There they were, uh, charging their electronic advisors. An asset in both ways. But let me tell you another one about uh, about exercise and, and that we don't sometimes ask the right question. Um, I was giving a talk and, and this other uh, colleague was, was giving a talk and, and she uh, came up to me afterwards and said, you know, Exercising throughout the day is very important. I said, Mm -hmm. yes, thank you. Uh, (laughs) She she, she said, you know, I have been trying to walk 10,000 steps a day. I have one of these fancy Apple devices that tell me when I've done it. And um, because I can't go and walk 10,000 steps in one walk or one run, I spread it throughout the day and what i found because of my device was that when i spread the walking my 10,000 steps throughout the day i lost 750 calories i used up 750 calories more hmm. from the same number of steps
0: and that's most well I, I would actually i don't know why that would show that but i can understand how it would metabolically work because you're changing yes. position
1: yes Yes.
0: But that, 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 that fitness tracker shouldn't have should have shouldn't have indicated a different calorie.
1: Well the, this Apple device shows also oh. the calories. So she oh, was okay. checking also the calories that, that she had burnt that day, but she never put the two and two together. She was yeah. looking at, at and doing her ten yeah, So exercise. it goes exactly
0: what your theory is. You, know, you yeah. can't out exercise in activity. You just yeah. can't. You yes. have to do it low for it. Doesn't have to be a lot. Just simple standing up. How much simpler does it get? Now it could be expensive if you have to get a stand-up wheelchair. But you know what's the what's the alternative?
1: They they are very distressed because Medicare has not been able to cover them. But most people who get them see tremendous benefit.
0: Yeah, that is just—it's just really a major pers- uh, pearl. Now, one of the other points you getting back to the astronauts that uh, you mentioned in your STEM talk interview, which I thought was intriguing—I hadn't known about it before—because in our last interview, I wasn't really interested in ketogenic diet or burning fat for fuel and yeah. just eating healthy. Now, I've written a book on it, and yes. you know, I've really—it's a very thorough, comprehensive treatise and review of the, the molecular biological literature. Thanks, and you had mentioned the ketogenic diet was one strategy you had recommended for the astronauts. I'm wondering why, because you didn't expand on it in your previous interview.
1: Well, the, uh, we want them to survive mm-hmm. and not lose muscle and bone mm-hmm. and uh, maintain their brain and the rest of the physiology normally. I mean, after all, bears do it uh, during their hibernation, and uh, much you know, they use up their fat as fuel, uh, and they don't lose muscle, they don't lose bone. And interesting enough, not really relevant, but they also uh, have the the they're pregnant, they have their young while they're hibernating. So the point was to to recommend the ketogenic diet to preserve the physiology while providing a fuel, an alternate fuel, to, to, to glucose. Certainly, it have using glucose as the fuel, you do lose a muscle, and you do lose bone. Yeah. And we do know that the brain, certainly, is a lot sharper uh, and functions more cohesively.
0: I mean, yeah. The little tweak that I found, actually, I've applied it personally, was that it really needs to be done in cycles. So you can't. Yes. You can go straight ketogenic, but if you do that for a long term, you're going to really cause more harm than good. I think. So
1: well, you know. it's like everything else. Yeah. You 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 know, it's not a square wave. You know, you <laughs>
0: forever. You right.
1: Have to change the body is is there to to alternate to change to get signals to stay alert. Sure, which
0: reinforces your central thesis, which is that you need to move continuously and change your position. You you should not be static unless you're sleeping.
1: That's right, exactly. Even during during sleep, we have cycles. Yeah, sure, of
0: course, yeah, but you're not moving very much. No, I hope not. Now what are you doing now are you in retirement or
1: I've been retired for 17 years.
0: Okay so what what have you been focusing on other than writing books and if you had any other epiphanies because as, as you as I mentioned previously when you were at NASA you know you were you're so time crunched you didn't really have time to go and go on the side and think about these things but now you do and I'm wondering what conclusions you've reached
1: Well we have already uh, a colleague in France uh, has already uh, done a 10-day fast, uh, just to see whether ordinary people that we would recruit as volunteers would have any trouble fasting for 10 days. And the answer came back, not at all. (laughs) They said...
0: Well, if ordinary people, most ordinary people are overweight, so they probably would benefit from it. But if you had a really thin person, you know, I'd be careful.
1: Oh yes, I yeah. mean these were all under supervision, and that, uh, obviously they they were fasting but drinking and uh, having uh, the tea and the coffee or whatever uh, a bit, all the things they would allowed. I, I've interviewed Dr.
0: Jason Fung, who's a nephrologist in Toronto. Yes. And, you know, he really wrote the book on fasting, and it's just a magnificent tool. I just was taking care of a patient with heart disease. It was literally it was pretty much terminal. But the first thing I did for him is put him on a fast, and yes. you know, put him on an ECP machine, extra core pulsation, and like his whole life changed in a week. It was amazing.
1: But, you know, this is very interesting. It's where we started, and I said to you, I never had breakfast growing up. Sure. And, uh, and, and not only that, I, I'm amused that the uh, books that have been written about the Mediterranean diet and longevity and all that, and they don't ask a simple question, what do you eat for breakfast? <laughs> no, no, no cereal is eaten for breakfast. I mean, they don't even think about eating bread for breakfast. They'll have their coffee, and, and they'll go about their business. Well, but, well, let's go into your
0: history a little bit, because obviously anyone would recognize you have an accent, and you're Greek, you're, you're ancestrally, you're Greek, yes. but you were born in Egypt because your father was a physician and, and was trained there, and then you wound up getting trained in London as a pharmacist, in pharmacy or pharmacology? I was a, an
1: undergraduate in pharmacy. And went to London and got a PhD in pharmacology at the University of London. Yeah.
0: So you have, you've had an interesting experience and got married and came to the United States,
1: which really was. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, not eating breakfast, uh, you know, people have said to me, oh, Joan, you must eat breakfast. Breakfast is the big meal, is the, is the main meal of the day. How can you live without eating breakfast? I said, I don't know. I've grown up this way. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. So when I was reading all Fungs and, and uh, Aspreys and whatever in your book, I, I thought to myself, I'm fasting anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. From
1: the time I, I eat my dinner, which is early any anyway, to the time I, I get around to having a meal, which is lunchtime, I'm fasting anyway. I should, I should start looking at this. Yeah. No and reason. I have, and I added the MCT oil, And uh
0: Caprylic acid is even better.
1: Yeah, well that's that's what that's what I'm I'm using. Your your favorite brand. All right, Uh, well good. And uh and in fact I started wondering whether the oil without the diet might be. An effective
0: tool—it has some of benefits. There's no question, but not as it's not as good as if you're actually burning fat for fuel yourself. And for people who are metabolically compromised, you know, relatively severe Alzheimer's, cancer, you can take ketone esters, which are far more effective than the, the MCT oil, But you know, it's, I wouldn't recommend it for a healthy yes. person.
1: No, I, I was I was wondering whether for people who want to get started in an obesity uh, reduction program. Whether well, well, uh, you know
0: fasting, if, if it's obesity, yeah. you know there are simpler ways. I mean, you don't have to do the the, the fat for fuel approach. You could just yeah. fast. I mean, that's going to be the quickest way to get you to burning fat for fuel. Yeah. And you know, the intermittent fast I think is profound. I used to do do for twelve or fourteen to sixteen hours, but I recently bumped it up. I'm doing eighteen to twenty hour fasts now. So I'll, I'll just eat for four hours in a day.
1: I do about eighteen to eighteen. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think it's even better. And and I, I started doing. I thought I should be eating when I exercised, you know, as a strength training. And stuff. But then I realized I was probably blunting the anabolic stimulus. So I'm doing it fasting now, and it, and I, I still work out as hard, and I think I get a better benefit from doing it. So, I, but you're going and, and to. It make, great. I'm sorry.
1: You're going uh, to lose No, right. no,
0: no, no. I have to be careful when I travel. Yeah. I almost exactly. if I travel for a week. I invariably come back losing five pounds. It's like, yeah. oh, darn!
1: <laughs> Come way around, isn't it? Yeah. Now, that's fascinating. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I can't help but ask questions like the survivors of the Holocaust. Oh, yes. Lived a very, very long life. Yes, indeed. Which is interesting. And I wondered whether a, a year, a period, at mm-hmm. a critical time of being on a ketogenic diet, which they jolly well were mm-hmm. for that period of time, fixes somehow. Here I'm just uh, I'm just throwing out ideas. No, right?
0: it, it you know when you and it's not just a concentration of survivors, skin well, uh, survivors, but but actually whole countries and they looked at this really carefully. Usually in war circumstances when there isn't a lot of food available and people have less yes. calories yes. and they're essentially forced into ketogenic state, they yes. survive longer. They live five ten years longer than the yes. one than if they had just normal uh, happy times and were feasting all the time. So, so
1: after after that period though they've gone to our, our bad ways of junk food and whatever else we, we consume mm-hmm. which is interesting because whatever that uh, bolt did whether that jolt that that, that period of, of, of ketogenic period had a lasting effect on their longevity
0: yeah yeah so I'm glad you picked up on that and are applied it yourself personally mm-hmm. Uh It's a good thing. I I have one question for you about combating some of the osteoporosis and the sarcopenia in space. I suspect you're familiar with the power plate. You know, it's promoted as being developed by the Russians' uh, space program for their cosmonauts. And I think when they were doing it up in space. I don't know, but it would seem like if you are strapped in, that that pulsing up and down might serve a valuable benefit. And I'm wondering what your research has shown.
1: Yes. Uh, you've seen Clinton Rubin's wor- work also. He has a plate of No, I, I haven't. I have not. Uh, a fellow called Judex, I think. Okay. He's probably the engineer who developed it. And he's done several work with a variety of animals. And and he they did try vibration- In uh, subjects in bed rest, uh, but I don't think they did it right. You know, quite frankly, I don't think they did it right. Uh, Again, I think you'd have to expose them
0: continuously, yeah, for
1: intermittent periods. Yeah,
0: regularly, most of the day, 16 hours. Regularly. So that's the key
1: with breaks, with variation, maybe a slight variation, the frequency, just to keep them alert and, and, and their system and the receptors, the appropriate receptors, alive.
0: But do you think that, had, I mean, it's a relatively small movement, it's like two or three millimeters, but it's still generating significant force. And I'm wondering, so if it, if it applied with the principles you just suggested that it might be beneficial.
1: It should be applied by something that straps it to the bottom of their feet.
0: Right I'm right, sure. they've got to be secure, otherwise they're not going to get the benefit
1: no I get the be- get that sort of thing i th- I am sure thats it's that type of of device that's going to be the solution
0: ah, oh, interesting. does anyone at NASA listening to you now no. no. Well, you know, you know, there there are private alternatives now. Maybe we can get yes. you in touch with Elon Musk no, because no, I think SpaceX I is going to get to Mars well before uh, NASA does.
1: Oh, absolutely. I have great hopes for the SpaceX group, and there are other groups as well, Bezos, sure. so, uh, who, who would be just want to make sure they keep their paying uh, customers healthy. mm mm-hmm. Because the last thing they want to do is, is have complaints. Sure. Well, keep people healthy.
0: So, do you have any speculations as how you could best mitigate against the ionizing radiation? Is there some type of shielding you can use or a well, molecular uh, rem- yeah, rem- remediation a, that you well, might be able to implement?
1: There is, a, there is shielding that uh, polyethylene, oddly enough, which is a very simple polyethylene. Really? Yeah, is one of the best shields. For gamma rays? And uh, water. Now water is heavy and it's yeah, yeah. hard and it's cumbersome. Uh, but you
0: can have the storage tanks around the around the vehicle.
1: You can certainly have storage tanks around around the vehicle, and you can have a safe haven, right? Also, that is surrounded by by water, and uh, somehow you know protect that way. But polyethylene or some sort of of uh, uh, plastic if you will uh, even a two layered with water in between you know a compromise of the of the two should be uh, an advantage I' th-
0: thick does a polyethylene have to be
1: I don't know not okay. very not very thick
0: interesting you know because this is something that should be used on airplanes <laughs> I mean people well, don't realize that when you're flying at 35,000 feet oh you yeah. know Take a Geiger counter up there. I've done this. You are getting 20 times more radiation exposure. If they're concerned about Fukushima, well, what do you, you should be a lot more concerned about flying up at
1: altitude. And, uh, and going over the polar route. Is that even worse? Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, pilots who fly uh, regularly on a polar route, I mean, I have no idea what happens to them. <laughs>
0: Well, it would seem that it would be reasonable. I didn't realize polyethylene can can block it. It, would, it seems kind of odd. You think it would be something like lead, but I mean, a little well, piece lead, of plastic.
1: Lead does, but, but yeah, but, but you know, there are material science scientists around who children, kids, young people who would love to have a challenge like the X Prize, put mm-hmm. a prize out there and let them think. It would... Come back with all kinds of, of, of suggestions. This is the sort of thing that we should be doing, not trying to find it by the same old way. Yeah. Uh,
0: so you think there's a possibility you might have to have some, be, be able to have some input into SpaceX?
1: I think SpaceX is going to be a lot more receptive, a lot more receptive, though their medical guy no, that's that's the wrong one. No, I don't know who the medical guy for SpaceX is. I know for for Uh, uh but uh, uh, he's not there yet. Hmm? But but he's uh, he he should he should be receptive. He should be receptive. Okay, I've can... been trying to to kind of gently, but of course, you know, the guy's so busy with. Uh, well, I,
0: I would imagine it wouldn't be him directly. It'd be someone in his. Uh, as a team, yeah, that would you connect with. Well, you okay. certainly have the credentials, well-established credentials, to be a benefit there. You never know. No, because are real serious issues, and you know, yeah, thankfully, you know, you learned a lot when you're there, and you and you did the work, and you uh, sort, you basically summarized it and gave us practical implications of what we can do on Earth, which is going to affect a lot more people than the astronauts.
1: Yeah. Oh, let me tell you the the other thing yeah. uh, I didn't tell you. Um, I'm just holding you up. Um, when we said, I said that, that astronauts exercise two to four hours a day and then mm-hmm. they do nothing. And why are we surprised that it is not as effective as we would like? There have been exceptions. Mm-hmm. There have been exceptions. First, Shannon Lucid, uh, who was uh, menopausal uh, when she was, went up on the, on the mirror for 179 days. Exercised throughout the day on the treadmill.
0: Mm.
1: Secondly, this will interest you. You know the Russians; mm. the food they give their cosmonauts is sardines. <laughs> I thought I knew I'd get you.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, the patient, that disease patient. I only had him eating one food. He wasn't totally fit, and I had him on sardines because he wasn't taking had no omega threes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I had no idea. Well,
1: they have... Oh, That's you know, not like the perfect
0: I, food for astronauts. I it went
1: really? to Russia in the 70s, and the, they, all they had was canned fishy stuff, including mm-hmm. caviar, which none That's of my great great I Maybe. loved it. But, yeah. uh, it's wonderful stuff. But they, one of our astronauts, a medical doctor, uh, ha, who went up with the Russians lost 17 uh, pounds in his mission because he wouldn't eat the Russian oh. food. Okay. Well, the Russians have always said they don't have such a problem with uh, with keeping their cosmonauts healthy. Well, maybe it's their diet that they've had all along <laughs> and nobody paid any attention. And we turn our nose up at it.
0: Yeah.
1: I, you know, these are... Silly little things that you get to observe or to think about when uh, you're sitting around uh, a retard or semi-retard. Yeah,
0: Yeah. (laughs) and and most likely it would seem that it's a real challenge to change that because it's the conventional wisdom and this and medical. Points on the whole process and you're not going to disrupt that with, because somebody, you're some odd, oddball PhD who has these ideas. So you're not a yeah. doctor. You're not a medical doctor.
1: It's a seismic event that will change it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the way we are. Yeah. Yeah. So it's,
0: yeah, but it doesn't change the reality. No, I did not realize that the cosmonauts had a more advanced way of thinking on that. That's interesting. Well,
1: I think they just—they just. They just I, I don't think they did it with uh, with ketogenic diet purpose. I think they did it because that's what they had.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: it works. <laughs> it worked. It worked. They've probably gone down the hill since they've been eating American food.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I would imagine that would be uh, the normal consequence is precisely what you would predict. All right. So, so this has been great. It's so good to reconnect with you again and see that you're still doing well and uh, anything up in the future, any big plans coming up?
1: Oh, I'm out there flogging and talking. And, you know, one of the interesting things I saw in the space program, I was hired because of my stress research.
0: Oh, that's right. That was in your, your original position. That's why they hired you.
1: Yeah. And so I think I'll go back to that. And I thought I'd write, I, I've sort of almost done it, but I want to restructure it and do it in a different way, a more personal way. Uh, a, a book called Stress Beyond 50. Ah, great. Beautiful thing. There's more of us around.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I just interviewed uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen, who is, uh, yes. are, you, are you familiar with his work? Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Yeah, because he was interviewed on STEM Talks too, and uh, great work that he's doing. He's just a pioneer. Yeah.
1: He's,
0: he comes out with a new book in September on uh, uh, how to end Alzheimer's, and which is an epidemic, you know. So he's got some great strategies in there that really align with what we're teaching. So
1: yeah, powerful yeah. stuff. Absolutely, it's possible. I mean, you know.
0: Oh, he's he's convinced, and he's yeah. probably one of the leading experts in the world on Alzheimer's. So. Yeah. There's no reason to to disagree with them. All right. Well, thanks for everything you've done. Uh, I really appreciate it. You keep up the great work. It's always good talking to you. Thank you.
1: And your book is fantastic. Well, thank you. I'm glad you liked it. (laughs) Very much.